The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. In our series that we're in, it's called Survival Essentials, and we're talking about four skills every mathetase Needs. Now, that word mathetes, you may be saying, okay, what does that mean? That's a word we use around here quite a bit. It's actually an ancient Greek term. And that word is basically the original word used for a follower of Jesus. We sometimes translate that as disciple. And we use that original word mathetes because we really want to get back to not just importing our meaning into that. We want to get back, okay, what did Jesus mean when he said, following, come follow after me? And we find that he means, man, it's an all or nothing situation. And in that journey, as we're following after Jesus, man, there's all kinds of dangers along the way. And so there's some, a couple key survival essentials that we're going to look at. Now, while we've been going through this series, we've been looking at, you know, like if you get lost in the wild, you know, how to survive. We've been talking about that as well. And so we have a survival expert that we're bringing in to give you a tip on how to survive. And this morning we're talking about the dangers of not navigating well and and getting lost. And so to help us have a tip for how to survive, please welcome Survival Dan. Okay. Wow. You, Morning. Sur- survival Dan, you, you look like a tree. Nope. It's camouflage. I'm invisible. You can't see me. Okay. Um, that's quite a getup. Why are you, what does that have to do with the dangers of navigation and not navigating well? Well, it's important to know when you're out in the wilderness that if you don't navigate well, you will get lost and you will have an encounter with dangerous wild animals. So the best course of action is whenever you go outside, every single time, that you wear camouflage like this so animals cannot see you. So when you go hiking in the woods, when you go across the Everglades, when you go outside to get your mail, make sure you wear a suit like this. Okay, that, I don't think I'm going to do, that sounds just really impractical to wear a suit like that. I don't. Do life. <laughs> okay, so the dangers, it just, I don't see myself wearing a suit like that out, going out to check my mail. Okay, well, if you choose not to wear a suit like this, you're kind of taking your life in your own hands. Because when you are lost and you're navigating and you lose your way, you will run into dangerous animals and you have to have crazy skills and hand-to-hand combat with wild animals. And I don't know that you all have that. I, fortunately, have had several experiences in hand-to-hand combat with animals. Uh, I actually prepared to show you a little bit about you're them. You're going to show us about So your... uh, let's go ahead and put up the first slide. This is me. Um, I was a 27-foot crocodile that I had to wrangle. It was wow. very vicious. I later domesticated him and called him Herb. He's a good friend okay. now. We go and walk. I'm, so, I'm really impressed by your muscles, Survival Dan. I had no idea. <laughs> very impressive, actually. This suit hides a lot. Okay. But let's go on to the next slide. Oh, gosh. That's just... This, this is a ferocious Florida panther. Okay, that doesn't look even remotely close to an actual... Okay, that, It's very that's a, dangerous. Okay. All Picture right. doesn't capture it. Looks really vicious. Okay. okay, let's go on to the next slide. This was one of my favorites. <laughs> this was out there. I was wrestling an orca, if you will. That's a, that's a, there are, that's a killer whale, Survival yes. Dan. There are not killer whales. Oh, there this. are loads of killer whales in the Everglades, especially this time of year. It's like mating season. They're everywhere. You've got to be careful when you're out there. 
the worst survival tip we've ever gotten. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. That will. Well, to recap, when you oh, go outside, boy. make sure that you wear camouflage like this, whether you're going out to check the mail or on a hike, so that it's you can't helpful. find animals. And if animals see you and you have to be prepared for hand-to-hand combat, good luck. Okay. Th- th- yeah. All right, I guess thank, help me thank Survival Dan for that tip. That's not what I was hoping. Okay. Oh, I'm invisible boy. now. You can't see me at all. Oh, I, it's like it was never here. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Wow, I am sorry. We'll try for a better survival tip next week from Survival Dan. He's helping us navigate through the wilderness. If you get lost in the Everglades, Survival Dan is there to give us a tip. But there are other um, survival skills that we need because really, in a lot of ways, our lives, surviving our lives, it's a wilderness. And there's all kinds of dangers we can find ourselves in. We can find ourselves lost and wondering how did we get here and run into all kinds of problems throughout our lives and specifically in our spiritual lives. Spiritual side of our lives, our relationship with God, our understanding of God, the way we operate with God. We can find ourselves from time to time walking on this journey with God and all of a sudden you, you look down and you're like, how did I get here? Look around, okay, nothing looks familiar around me. This is not what I was expecting. When I began a relationship with God or when I was kind of dabbling in spirituality, I thought it would turn out different, but I look down now and I just feel like I'm lost. I don't know where I am. See, navigating through a relationship with God, and that can happen to anyone, no matter where you're at in your spirituality, that can happen to almost anyone. Where you look around, this is not what I expected. Navigating through the waters, navigating through the wilderness of our relationship with God takes some, takes some precise thought and takes sticking to the path that we're on. And we're going to look at that in, in, this morning in a profound passage. It's in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, if you turn there to Philippians, if you have a Bible app, you can go to the, what we call the book of Philippians. It's also going to be up here on the screens. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this book. It's actually literally a letter. We call it a book, but it is a letter. And we call it Philippians because it was originally a letter written to the church in a city called Philippi. So we call it Philippians. It's written by Paul. Paul is a pastor, a missionary, an apostle. He wrote this letter, and it says at the very beginning, he says, to the saints in Philippi. So he's writing to Christians, to believers. We're going to look at what he says. This is chapter 3 of Philippians. We're going to start in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, now these are kind of tricky verses. It's hard on the first run through, it's hard to understand all that Paul is saying here. So let's break this down. He starts off by saying to these Christians, first thing he says, man, rejoice. Be joyful. It's a command. He says, man, rejoice. You can have joy. And Paul is is pretty profound in the book of Philippians because the context is he's in prison and he's in there, he's Friends have turned their back on him. He's in a really tough spot, and he's writing this book of Philippians, and constantly, all through it, he's telling them all these reasons to find joy no matter what. So he says, rejoice. And then he says this. He says, watch out for those dogs. 
He says, watch out for those evildoers. He says, watch out for those bad guys. We're like, okay, who, what bad guys is he talking about? Who is he? I mean, he's speaking pretty strongly against these guys. Who are you talking about? And we get an idea of who these bad guys are because he, he kind of contrasts them with, the, with he and the Philippians. He says, because we, he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. So he's kind of dividing this line. There are those that put confidence in the flesh, and he says, and there are those like us, we don't put confidence in the flesh. Okay, Paul, what are you talking about? He's saying that there's some things that we stand on, we put our confidence in. And he says, and there's a whole category of things that we put our confidence in, and the phrase he uses is confidence in the flesh. There's this whole category of the flesh that we put our confidence in. Now, that still might sound a little confusing, but he's going to break it down. Watch what he says next. This is verse 4. Look what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, hang on this just for a second because this is kind of surprising. Paul, it may sound like he's being kind of arrogant and prideful. He's saying, man, if anyone else has reason to be confident in themselves, I have more reason. Watch what he says. He qualifies that. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, that's kind of an interesting list, Paul. I mean, good for you. Why would we care about that? Why is that so impressive? You have all these reasons to be confident. He breaks this down. What he's talking about when he talks about confidence is he's talking about where's, when it comes to religious stuff, spiritual stuff, where's your spiritual confidence? What are you putting your spiritual confidence? In other words, what makes you think God's happy with you? Or maybe what is it that makes you think he's unhappy with you? Based on what? Like what makes you think God looks down and says, ah, you know, I, I love him, I, I love her, versus man, I am mad at that person right now. I, I, what makes you think one or the other? What's your confidence? What, what's, what's it based on? What's the scale? If it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, God accepts me versus, man, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Like, based on what? He's talking about that level of confidence, that spiritual confidence. He says, what's it based on? He says, because if you could have confidence in your flesh, in yourself, he says, I could have more confidence. And he breaks down this kind of weird list. He starts with this. First thing, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, what's the big deal about that, Paul? Well, going back to the Old Testament law, if you wanted to be in, like if you wanted to be part of Israel, these worshipers of Yahweh, and let's say you weren't ethnically an Israelite, and you say, but I still want to be in, I realize that you're worshiping Yahweh, Yahweh, I want to be part of the community, then what would happen is all the males in your household would need to be circumcised, and then everyone in your household was in. That was saying, okay, I'm in, I'm part of that, that nation of Israel. So Paul starts with, according to the law, circumcised on the eighth day, but he says, but I'm not just part of Israelite that. I'm actually an Israelite. I actually know my tribe. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm not just from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, I'm like, I'm up there. In fact, some scholars think he means that he actually speaks that language, Aramaic. He actually can speak that language. He's like, I'm part of that people. I'm in. But he goes further. He says, even more than that, man, if I could have confidence before God, knowing that God, man, God's happy with me, he'd say, man, when it comes to the law, my perspective, my interpretation of the law, I was a Pharisee. 
That's like the ultra most strict interpretation of the law. That's how I lived. I was a Pharisee. Like, let me give you an example. These Pharisees, you think there's a lot of laws in the, in the Old Testament, a lot of laws in the Bible? Man, they were so meticulous for fear of breaking a law. Like, let me give you an example. There was a law that you couldn't work on the Sabbath, like don't do any work on the Lord's day. So they mapped out the number of steps that you could take on that day before you started to work too hard. So they mapped out, okay, you can take, if you're going on a journey, you can travel 2,000 steps, but that's it, and then travel 2,000 steps back. That's how meticulous, they're counting their steps, and that's before they have like a pedometer attached to their phone or whatever, okay? They've got to count their steps. He says, man, when it comes to being the law and interpretation and thinking correctly, I was a Pharisee. He says, but it's more than that. I wasn't just had my thoughts together. Man, I was passionate. I had zeal. When I first saw the Christian church, I thought, man, they're this heretical group within Judaism. I persecuted them, man. I dragged them off to prison. I had passion. You knew it was the real deal with me. And he says, well, there's more than that. He says, when it comes to obeying the law, like morality, I was blameless. I never broke a law. It was perfect. He's laying all this down. He says, all of this is confidence in the flesh. Okay, Paul, what are you saying? And why would we... 2,000 years later, care about this list. Here's what's so unbelievably profound about this part of the Bible. He just broke down into categories what every religion and system of thought in the world breaks down to find their confidence in. Let me give you an example. I want to show you what, what I mean. Here are some of these categories. These are the buckets in which we often try to find our confidence. The first is, he says, man, I was circumcised. I am in. I'm part of Israel. And, and so often what religions do is they say, I have the right label. I'm Buddhist. So, and Buddhists are right. And I call myself a Buddhist. Uh, so that means I'm right. Or I'm Hindu. Or uh, I'm Jewish. Or whatever it is. I have the right label. So I must be right. So because I, I adhere to that religion and not another one, God's good with me. It's the right label. But the second one is not just the right label. The second one is I have the right people because Paul didn't just stop there. He says, it's not just that I have the right label. Man, I'm one of them. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so some say, well, it's not just that I have that label. I'm in the right little sect within that religion. I'm in the right denomination. I go to the right temple or the right synagogue or, or I go to the, I, I'm part of that. I'm part of the right group. I have the right people. Some take it a step further. It's not just the right people. For some, that they have confidence is, I think right. If the rest of the world could think the way I think, then, I, then they would be right too because it's how I think that makes me right. But if some say it's different than that. Sometimes you've got to, what you feel, you can't be an empty hypocrite. You've got to, if you feel it from the inside, it's because I'm passionate about what I believe. It's God looks down, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and fervent about it. You've got to have zeal and passion. And then some maybe say it's, a, it's another bucket that they put their confidence in. The last one is, it's, look at my deeds. I have the right deeds. Say, well, I mean, it, it's not just how you feel or think or what, who you associate with. You've got to have the right actions. So, you know, if you're part of a religion, you've got to do the right feasts and fasts and pilgrimages and you have to make the right sacrifices or whatever that religious religion demands. As long as you do the right thing, God's happy with you. You're okay. Now, look at this. List for a second, and I just let's hold it up there, and I want you to see that list. Because remember, Paul's not talking to people who aren't Christians. He's talking to Christians. 
And there's a profound truth in here because what he's essentially saying is you can take the truth of the Bible, the truth about Jesus, and you can reduce it down to an empty religion just like any other religion in the world. You can take this powerful, transforming truth about Jesus, you can vacuum out that truth, and you're left with just empty Christianity as just another religion. See, look, you can say, well, I've got the right label. I mean, I know Christianity is the right right religion. I call myself a Christian. I I, I say that I'm a Christian. I'm not another religion, so I've got to be right. So since I call myself a Christian, God's good with me because I'm in the right, I have the right label. Sometimes we say, well, it's not just the label. I mean, you've got to be, you know, plugged into a people group. So I say, man, I'm part of this church. What church do you go to? Oh, you go to that church. Well, I don't know if, you know, you might be Christian, but you go to that. They're too traditional or they're too progressive or, or they, they don't reach out to other people. They don't believe the right thing. I'm part of this group and our church is right. I know our church is right. So since I'm part of this church, then that means that God's got to be happy with me because I have the right people. Well, I'm not just part of that church. I'm part of like a smaller group within that church. I'm a church member of church members. I'm part of a, a leadership group. I'm part of a serving team. I'm in. I'm, since I'm part of that church, that's got to mean that I'm good with God. Some say, well, no, it's, you got to believe the right things. You know, in Christianity, it's about having the correct thinking, having the correct doctrine, having the right beliefs. It's that you've got to think right. Or some say, well, it's about having a spiritual experience. Man, I, I'm good with God. I mean, I, when, I'm, when I'm worshiping music, man, I, it's emotional for me, and I connect with what God's, what God's doing. I mean, I've, I had that one really powerful experience once at a camp or at a conference, and so it's got to be real because I feel it. It's truly what I feel. Or maybe it's my deeds. I mean, God's got to accept me. I, I live Christianly. I mean, look at what I do. I go to church and I pray and I try to be nice to people. I'm not perfect, but I do the best I can. I mean, God's got to see that. So this is a powerful list. It breaks down these buckets where we find, often put our confidence in. I have the right label. I have the right people. I have the right thinking, the right feeling. I have the right deeds. It breaks down those. And so often we find our spiritual confidence in those categories just like every other religion in the world. But there's something even more profound about this list. It's not just religious thinking. It's non-religious thinking too. What's the one thing you find your confidence in? Um, If you've seen, I would assume everyone in here has seen uh, an episode of the cartoon Popeye. I've seen the show Popeye. Okay, I think everyone has to have seen Popeye. Every episode of Popeye pretty much goes the same way. Popeye is a is a sailor. He's really kind of scrawny, except he has these gigantic forearms. Okay, they've got an anchor on them. And there's a villain, and he sometimes is called Brutus or Bluto, and he's got this gigantic barrel chest. I mean, he's this huge hulking guy, and he's always trying to get Popeye. And sometimes he takes Popeye's girlfriend, Olive Oil, and ties her to train tracks or something. You guys tracking with me? Okay. He ties olive oil to train tracks and there's like a speeding train coming and, and you're like, Popeye, what's Popeye going to do? Maybe even Brutus is beating up on Popeye and if you're watching it, you're waiting for one thing. You know, if Popeye just has one thing, everything's going to be okay, okay? There's just uh, there's one thing. I mean, he doesn't need steroids. He doesn't need to lift weights, okay? He doesn't need like a shake with beet juice in it or something, okay? He needs one thing. If he gets that, it's over. What is it? Spinach. Needs a spinach, you're just waiting for it. Sometimes they leave you on the edge. Oh no, he's, they've got his spinach. He can't get to his spinach. But finally, at one point, there's a can of spinach. He always just kind of squeezes it and a whole glob goes up and he swallows it whole, right? 
He gets his spinach and then he like punches the train or whatever and he saves the day. So you're watching Popeye and there's one, there's just one thing that you're waiting for, one thing that Popeye needs. Your whole confidence is anchored in one thing, it's spinach. Here's what's so profound about this list. Look at these categories. You'll find every person in the world, religious or non-religious, finds their one thing that their life's confidence is in is in one of these buckets. I mean, not just put religion on the side. The thing that gets that person out of bed in the morning, the thing that they're pursuing, the thing that I say, man, if I just had this, then my life would matter, then it would mean something. It boils down to these profound categories that Paul just laid out. It's I say, you know what, if I just had, finally, I'm I'm working so hard, I'm studying, because if I could just have that title, doctor, then I would be, I've made it. If I could just have that label of professional or officer or vice president or business owner, if I could just put that label, then I've made it. That's what my confidence is on. That's what my life is aiming towards. I'm, I'm working and striving and urgent for. If I could just have the title boyfriend or girlfriend, then I'd feel like I mattered and I was worth something. Man, I've been single so long, I'm just waiting for that day I could have title of wife or husband because if I had that, then I'd feel whole and complete and my my life mattered. Or if only if I could have the title mom or grandparent. If I could just have that title, that's what my confidence is. It's in a label. Then I would know that I would make it. My life matters. I'm significant. I'm somebody. Or maybe it's this next bucket. No, it's who I belong to. Man, if if I could just be somebody's someone, if I could be significant to someone, if my group could think I was significant, man, if I could sit at the cool table at lunchtime, then I'd be someone. Or fast forward a decade or two, if I could live in the cool neighborhood, if I could one day achieve living in that nice neighborhood, then I'd know those are my people. That's where I belong. Do you realize I, I work, look at who I, the firm I work for. I work there, so that means I'm somebody. Look at the people I associate myself with. That's what I find confidence. That's what my life is yearning for. Or maybe it's my thinking. Man, the world, if they could just think like I do, then it would, everything would work. I mean, if, if they could just think politically like I do, if they could just think economically like I do, because it's my thinking that I pride myself in, I think clearly. If the whole organization could have the right philosophical thinking, we would be going places. Well, it's not just my thinking. It's, it's that I really, I'm a genuine person. It's how I feel. I'm not a hypocrite, shallow person, man. I'll tell you how I actually feel. And, and my relationships are real because I actually feel something for those relationships. I'm not a disingenuous person. It's, it's how I feel. I find my significance in how I feel or what makes me feel good. Or maybe it's my deeds. Man, I put all of my confidence in this bucket. My life will mean something if I can accomplish this. If not... I don't even know what to say about my life. If I don't achieve this, make this amount of money, get in that tax bracket, get this title, this accomplishment, if I don't get there, if I don't achieve this, if my deeds don't get there, then what am I worth? See, what Paul has just laid out is his version of the buckets that every single person has. And Paul says, what are you anchoring your confidence to? What's the one thing? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What keeps you going? What makes you teeter from elation and and arrogance to depression and being in devastation? What are those things you find your confidence in? 
And he just lumped almost every human instinct in one category, confidence in the flesh. So, Paul, what's the alternative? You just put every system of thought, you put every religion, you just put every human instinct into one category. What's the alternative? Look what he says, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Basically, Paul says, okay, there's one entire category that almost every human instinctually falls into. It's finding your confidence in one of these buckets, finding your confidence in one of these aspects of who I am. I've got to look in who I am, how I think, how I feel, who I'm with, my label, my deeds, my actions. What am I going to, to find myself worth? Or, or what do I find myself to make it so that I could stand before God and say, okay, God likes me or is mad at me or happy with me or lets me into heaven or not. What am I anchoring my confidence in? He says, I'm going to give you a whole nother category. He's saying, man, there is essentially two categories in the universe. One is to look and find confidence in your flesh, and there's another one. And he says, because I count all of those things as nothing, as loss. He says, as rubbish. Did you you catch where he said as rubbish? That word in the ancient Greek is kind of a fun word to say. It's skubalon. It's the ancient Greek word for rubbish. I think we should all say that together because it's fun. Okay, let's say skubalon. Ready? Skubalon. Okay. Now, it's possible that I just made you say a bad word in ancient Greek, okay? I'm not proud of myself. It was immature. Okay, that word skubalon, what it actually means, it's actually a coarse word. In fact, it means like, it's like a catch-all word for anything that is just repulsive and disgusting. It's a word that can mean like dung, but not like in like a technical term, like as in like excrement, okay? It's more of like a pejorative term. It's like anything that's just like something that's rotting and disgusting, something that's trash. Like he's probably the church in Philippi are reading through there and the pastor you know, is reading through Paul's letter and he gets to Scubalon and everyone's like quiet and people are like, man, he said Scubalon. I don't even let my kids say Scubalon. I can't believe Paul said that. He's all worked up. Okay, he gets to this and he says all of those buckets All of those different categories we try and find our confidence in, spiritually, religiously, or unreligiously. He says all of those little categories, trash. He says worthless to me, repulsive to me. I put them all aside for finding my confidence in one thing, Jesus Christ. That's it. The world broken down into two categories. We can spend our life trying to find our confidence, our religious confidence, our irreligious confidence, and all the things of ourselves and all these things and furiously trying to find what makes us matter. We can join the entire world in doing that or there's one entire other category, Jesus. You say, okay, how is that a whole category in and of itself? Because here's the message. The message of the Bible is this. 
It's God looks down on this planet and he sees us. He sees us humans. And it's not just some distant entity looking at you and looking into your life. It's your creator, the one who wove your personality together, wove your body together, the one who knows every intimate detail of your past, was there for every moment you were awake or you were asleep. He knows you better than any human alive, including yourself, ever could. He knows you. Now I want you to enter into the vulnerability of this. That means that he's looking down at you right now. He knows every moment of your life. He knows every dark shadow you'd like to keep quiet. He knows every sin that you've done. He knows every lustful thought. He knows every moment you cheated. He knows every time that you are self-centered. He knows every dark secret that you'd like to forget. He knows every single detail about your past. He knows all of those things. He knows everything of your present circumstances, all the difficulties and all the strengths, all the reason that you feel down depressed, exhausted. He knows every, every part of it and every detail. He looks down on you and feel all of the, the nakedness of your soul the way he is looking into your life right now. And this is what he's saying. I know every single detail about you, good, bad, and ugly. And I love you more than you could possibly fathom. Right there in all of your pain, all of your guilt, all of your shame, in the filth and the mess that is your life. Though you've tried to make your life better by putting confidence in one of these buckets, he says, I know who you really are, and in all of that filth, I love you right where you are. And he doesn't just say that I love you. He says, let me prove to you how much I love you. He says, I entered into creation. I came into creation in the form of Jesus. I was nailed to a cross. And what was happening is he was taking all of the filth off of us and he was placing it on perfect Jesus. And Jesus in agony dies on the cross, paying for our sins and and rose again on the third day, washing us clean. And he says, essentially, Paul says, I can try and be righteous on my own or I can exchange it because I know it's worthless anyway and take the righteousness of Jesus. It's this exchange that's happened. Jesus took my filthiness and I took took his perfection. And now I stand before God and all he sees, he knows me intimately, but all that he sees is the perfection of Jesus when he looks at me. He says, I could spend my entire life trying to prove to God or prove to myself that I'm somebody, that I'm significant, that I have confidence that I can stand before God or just wake up in the morning and I can anchor my confidence in all these things that are about me, that are my flesh, or I can realize that's, that is bankrupt. There's only one thing I'm going to put my confidence in. It's Jesus. It's that he looks down the creator and ruler of the universe and says, I love you more than you could fathom. The wildest thought about God's love doesn't scratch the surface of the height and the depth and the width of his love for you. Paul says, that's what I anchor my confidence in. Just Jesus. And everything else is rubbish. He's saying, every other system of thought finds confidence in what I do, but with Jesus I find confidence in what he did. Now see, Remember, this was written to Christians. See, this is Mathetes, followers of Jesus, Christians. This is one of the survival skills that we absolutely have to have, and it's one that may be the most neglected. 
It's almost like this. Imagine your walk with God is like going on a hike. And let's say beginning your, your Christian walk or beginning your path following after Jesus is like entering into a national forest. Sometimes we treat the gospel, that message of Jesus and his love for us, we treat that as the welcome sign. Oh yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I, I, I get all that. Died, rose again. I'm there. I, I passed that sign on my way in. I got it. And then we wander around the forest. Here's what Paul's saying. No, Christian, you've got to re-preach this to you. This is not, preach this to yourself every day. You've got to pound it into your mind. You've got to pound it into your hearts. This isn't the welcome sign. It is the path you're walking on. It is the firm foundation you stand on that you never get off. It is your compass. It is your map. It is the flashlight helping you navigate down the path through the darkness. You've got to stay on the gospel and every day remind yourself of where you stand. I don't find my confidence in my label. I don't find my confidence in my deeds. Jesus, I stand before you washed clean. I stand before you, God, washed clean, loved by you in a way that's more powerful than I can fathom because of Jesus. And I've got to re-preach that in my mind every single day. We don't leave the gospel behind. We re-preach it to ourselves all the time. Now let me give you just two practical helps with that. You say, what do you mean literally? I mean literally in your solitude time, your time alone with God, you go back through it. You literally stop and say, what am I going to find my confidence in today? What's going to make my day matter? Because nothing is even close to the fact that I matter to God. And the only reason I matter to you, God, is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I stand condemned if it wasn't that you've washed my sins away because of Jesus. I I go back through it. I actually rehearse it, tell myself the gospel again. Like, look, I need to know the gospel better. Can you give me some resources to help? I want, you to, I want to give you two books to consider reading. Write these books down. Let me show you the first one. It's called The Prodigal God. This is a short little book that's fantastic as it breaks down the gospel in your life. If you're looking for something in your solitude time to read, if you have never read this book, you've got to get a hold of this book and read through it. help you understand this truth and how to pound it into your life. And your life. This is the next one. It's called um, Galatians for You. It unpacks the book of Galatians. Phenomenal book in helping us just pound the gospel down into our hearts. Great, great book to check out and to consider to help you stand firm on the gospel and never stray. Church, here's what happens so often. Christians, Mathetes, we say, yeah, I believe in the gospel. I believe and I'm, I'm more floored at the beginning. God, I can't believe that you love me. I don't deserve it. And we have this incredible overwhelm by it. But we don't re-preach it to ourselves. We don't work it into our lives constantly. We don't use it to, to understand our motives. And so after a little bit, after a while, we get back to, okay, I've got to achieve this label. I've got to be with this group of people. I've got to have the right thinking. I've got to have the right feelings. And, and one day we're like, man, why am I, I don't feel like I connect with God anymore? Man, what's happened to me? Am I, am I off base? You know, I used to feel it. That's how I knew it was genuine. Or man, my de- I keep falling into these sins. I keep messing up with these deeds and actions. And we, we go back to these things that are all rubbish. Christian, go back to where you began. That's the path you stay on. That's the compass you need for your life. That's that's the flashlight helping you navigate through the darkness. It's standing on the gospel and realizing who you are before God. We've got to pound that into our lives daily and constantly. I want you to hear this quote. It's by a preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And I just want you to hear this just wash over you this morning. He's talking about how Jesus came after you. 
how he fought for your soul. And this is what he says. What a battle he had in us before he would, we would be won. How long he laid siege to our hearts. How often he sent us terms of surrender. But we barred the gates and fortified our walls against him. Do we not remember that glorious hour when he conquered our hearts? When he placed the cross, his cross, against the wall and scaled our ramparts, planting the blood-red flag of his omnipotent mercy on our strongholds? Yes, we are indeed the conquered captives of his omnipotent love. Do you remember he came after you? Pursued you? Chose you? He sought you? His love he ran after you in his love. You were the lost sheep broken. You remember he, he came and found you. You remember that? Never, never forget it. Stand on it. Re-preach it to yourself every single day. Now church, there's someone in here in particular that's on my heart this morning, a certain type of person. It's a person that, that has reduced this incredible message of love down, vacuumed out the power of it and has reduced it down to just a Christian religion. Let me ask you a question. If you were to stand before God, let's say today is your last day on planet earth, much to the surprise of your family and friends, you find yourself standing face to face to your creator. And let's say God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your response? Would it be, well, it's because I'm a Christian and Christians are, are right. So I should be in our, or no, it's because I was a part of a really good church and you know, I was a part of it and, and those are my people. Oh no, it's because God, I, I think the right things. I have the right system of belief or you know, God, about those moments where I really just felt you and, and it was emotional time that one time or look at my life. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing the best I can. Rubbish, worthless, trash. There's one thing. God, I don't deserve to enter into heaven. I don't deserve it. But you love me so much, you send Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And it's Jesus, what, not what I do, but what Jesus did that washes me clean. And I know that I can enter in boldly because Jesus has washed me clean, dying on the cross and rising from the dead. It's just Jesus. It's not what I do, it's what he did. See, we find no confidence in our flesh. We find confidence in the pierced flesh striped flesh. The, the flesh that had a crown of thorns placed around his forehead. We have our confidence in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And maybe for you this morning, for the first time, doesn't matter how long you've been in church, how long you've considered yourself having the label of Christian, but maybe for the first time this morning you say, I need to put my confidence in just Jesus, not anything else. I've just been following the religion of Christianity, but I need to follow after Jesus. And maybe say, today is the day I'm getting it right. It's just you, Jesus. This morning, we're going to end our time together by taking communion. And communion is that ancient symbol that Christians have done all throughout history. It started with Jesus when he took a small meal. He broke bread and he passed it to his disciples. And he said, in the same way, my body's going to be broken. And he took wine or juice and he poured it out and he said, in the same way my blood is going to be poured out. And he says, this is being poured out for you. It's for your salvation, the cleansing of your sins. And so Christians throughout history, we've taken the broken bread and we've taken the poured out juice and we've, we've eaten it and we've drank it for a proclamation of what Jesus has done. 
And so we're going to end with that time in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to enter into these two aisles. Some of you can go to the back where there's communion tables set up in the back. There's some set up here in the front. And you're going to come forward. You're going to take a piece of the bread, take the juice, and you're going to eat it and drink it on the way back to your seat. And then we're going to sing a song together. But some of you this morning are saying, you know what? I'm just not sure where I stand with Jesus yet. I'm just not sure. Then I'd ask you just to hold off this morning from taking communion. Because this is a proclamation of what you believe in Jesus. But some of you this morning are going to say, you know what, I'm ready. Christianity, it's not the religion. It's not that I get it right with the religion. It's just Jesus. I want to put my confidence in just Jesus once and for all time. I want to do that today. And if that's you, when you get to these tables, you're going to see a bunch of plastic cups and you're going to see a couple of wooden cups. And if that's you, you're putting your confidence in Jesus for the first time today. I want you to take one of those wooden cups as a, as a day to remember this day that you put your confidence in Jesus for the first time. For the rest of us, the plastic cups are there for us. And I want you to take a second. And, and this is a moment for us to whatever we're putting our confidence in, say, man, that's rubbish. It's just you, Jesus. That's what this is this morning, an opportunity for us to remember what he's done to save us. You can begin coming forward or going to the back now. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.